Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck and the Success League. Strike Deck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. The Strike Deck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top-performing customer success team that drives retention and revenue for their organization. We also offer training programs for CSMs and customer success leaders. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hayer, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. I'm so happy to be joined today by Pallavi Gadapalli. Pallavi is the Customer Success Lead Product Manager for Cisco's NextGen Firewall Solution. And today we'll be talking about how to approach customer success in a complex, highly technical environment that includes an on-prem solution. This is not your typical SaaS customer success environment. So Pallavi, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Kristen. I'm so jazzed about sharing my experiences with you. It's been an incredible journey in the last year and a half, and I'm really happy to be here. Oh, that's great. I know our audience probably really wants to hear how you tackled customer success in an on-prem environment, uh, because it's somewhat unusual. You're definitely not the only organization out there that has that situation. Before we get into that, though, can you tell us a little bit more about your role? Customer success product manager is a very uncommon title. So I'd love to hear how you arrived at that and what you do exactly at Cisco. I was hired as the first customer success product manager. There wasn't a role before that, (laughs) before I was hired. There really wasn't. The role definition was missing too. So it was funny because my manager said, I'm hiring you as a first customer success product manager, and I actually do not know what your responsibilities look like. So you can go ahead and define them. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Because the the business unit is primarily responsible for the health of the business and the products that we build, it kind of makes sense to have customer success as a part of the product management organization. I honestly didn't have any prior experience with customer success at all. But I've always been of the mindset that products should be built to delight the customer, not just to simply meet a need, Mm -hmm. you know. So my role was to define and roll out a practice and actually evangelize customer success within the product, technical marketing, marketing, and the development org. That practice today is built to scale. We are, of course, in progress. It's a work in progress always. It will be built to scale and it will serve as a blueprint for other products within the security business unit, as well as across the organizations in Cisco. So you're really kind of a pioneer. That's right. Um, And I enjoy being one, always. So I also want to set the stage for our listeners so they know a little bit more about the organization where you're working. Can you share some background on Cisco's NextGen Firewall group? NextGen Firewall is a product within the security business group in Cisco. If you think about it, it's one of the key pieces of our overall security architecture. And it's, of of course, the best product in the market. If you look around, NSS Labs consistently comes back with findings that Cisco NGFW is the best firewall in the market. And um, it makes a bigger part of our portfolio. 
It is a traditional business unit. It has functions like product development, marketing, technical marketing, sales, support, and services actually rolled into other organizations. So my job is to drive the customer success experience, not just within the product and the business unit, but also across the other parts of the business, which is very critical, which is sales, support, and services, uh, as well as customer success managers. So you can think of me as being an octopus having arms <laughs> that engage with sales, support, professional services, as well as the online digital experience, you know, which is critical to the low-touch model. Yeah, I think uh, customer success in most organizations, I think of as kind of an octopus that has those tentacles that reach out to everywhere. You really are positioned kind of in the middle of a of a big organization. So that's pretty neat. Thank you for sharing some details with the audience. So you wrote a blog post for Strike Deck that's really the basis of what we're discussing today, how to approach customer success in a large, complex organization, uh, specifically with an on-prem solution. What motivated you to write that post? And why do you think this is an important topic for us to discuss? That's a really good question. So when I joined this group, you remember I said that there wasn't a role and there wasn't a practice built either, Mm -hmm. right? So I started attending, obviously, a lot of meetups. That's what people do, I guess, and started meeting a lot of people in the industry that were doing customer success today. And I found that people were focused on SaaS companies uh, because telemetry was automatically built into the product. And most products were either simpler consumer products or simpler enterprise products. Maybe that's generalizing it a bit too much, but that's what I found at the meetups. So when I started to discover customer success in Cisco, and started to evangelize it further, I I honestly didn't have a blueprint to go from. And I attended the Pulse conference um, last year in the hope of getting some direction. I got a lot of good ideas, but I didn't really get any answers to those questions, to be honest. So I decided to start documenting what I was seeing, what I was experiencing, and, and that's what led to the article. It's really important to discuss this because the security market is definitely really, really relevant right now. It is, of course, transitioning. Uh, It's transitioning to cloud, on-prem to cloud, or actually hybrid, I'd say. Mm -hmm. But I didn't find a way to roll out customer success for a technically technically intensive product. So in addition to scale it at the Cisco level, as well as meeting the needs of our install base alone, was a very big challenge. So I thought I should write about it. One, because on-prem solutions typically do not have any telemetry built into it. And I wanted to make sure I'm able to help other people who are in the same space. And I have to be honest, since then, so many people from the meetups have reached out to me to actually try to get a blueprint of what I was rolling out. Yeah, I think it's it's really unique what you've done. And it's also really necessary. It, it kind of leads to my next question. I think a lot of people I talk to assume that most, if not all software at this point has transitioned to SaaS. And, um, and I think it's because there's, you know, there's a lot of talk about it, like you said, in the meetups, a lot of press about it. You know, when people write about customer success, they're typically writing about customer success in a high-touch SaaS type model. Um, but there are still organizations um, with on-prem solutions. And I was wondering if you can tell us why companies still need on-prem solutions in certain situations. That's another great question. So I can go from my experience in the security business unit. So if you look around, a lot of industries, security, IoT platforms, storage, is still very much on-prem. 
even though the industry is transitioning, you know, of course, there's cloud storage now, there is cloud security, mm-hmm. but a lot of customers are still in the transition phase. And that transition phase looks to be at least a three to five to even seven years sometimes before that really fully happens. Okay. I see this in a lot of government agencies, actually. They tend to go that route. Schools and government agencies somehow seem to go that route because they're just not comfortable putting their data up in the cloud, even if they have their own tenant, so to speak. They're just not comfortable putting data up in the cloud. Yeah, I've run into that with some of our clients in the in the healthcare or health technology space, too, because of um, some of the HIPAA regulations that are out there. I think there's some regulations that make it difficult to use solutions in the cloud at this point. It seems like that is a perfect example right there. Healthcare is another industry that doesn't really like to put their data in the cloud. Retail is, I'd say, 50 50 mm-hmm. because they do have some, you know, PII information on their um, on their books or on their systems. And that's something they, they wouldn't like to do either. But yes, that's another great example. Yeah. So I want to get into your articles. You focused on how to implement a customer success program inside a company with a very complex technical solution. And you gave a very solid step-by-step process that was, I thought, pretty practical. And I love talking to people that have practical suggestions for how to implement things. The first step that you talked about was getting buy-in from your product management team. That wouldn't have been the first thing I would have thought of. So why, why is that so important? And can you give the audience some tactical approaches to that? Product management is a really unique function because you are a direct line with the customer and the built product. So you always define and build a product that meets a certain customer need. So product management is really responsible right from the very beginning to develop the business strategy, figuring out what to build, defining what to build, and taking it to market. So in my role, in addition to relaying the requirements back to the product management based on customer needs and adoption barriers, we also align a lot of collateral and services that align with the customer journey. So if you think about it, collateral is for the low-touch models, services play is with a high-touch model, but they're all aligned with different phases in the customer journey. Right. And the adoption metrics that we define also help drive new feature functionality and investments, right? So you can see, well, the user is adopting a certain uh, feature set better than the other. So you can think about investing more in that feature functionality or trying to make it better instead of redefining the prioritization again. So it's a really good insight into what needs to be built further and how the investments would be made. Uh, The adoption metrics actually also help us understand how the customer is using the product. Who better to understand the features defined than the PM team itself? So the PM team finds a lot of value. And that's what the customers are truly looking for. I think it's really good for the customers to know that whatever insights they're bringing to the customer success team is being directly funneled into the PM organization. Okay. And then how how did you go about kind of getting them on board with this customer success function? Did you, you had a relationship, I'm assuming, with that group prior to starting in this role? Is, or did you have to do a lot of outreach? I had to do a lot of outreach. Uh, Customer success overall is a very misunderstood uh, role as well as function. That is true. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Every time I talk to somebody, right? Uh Everybody, every time they say, what do they do again? I don't really know. It's too pie in the sky. I, I don't exactly know what they contribute to. And that was the challenge. But if you talk to my colleagues today, 
a lot of the people have said, wow, she's really carved out a place for herself in the product organization. And I know what she does. And I know the value that she's bringing to the business unit. So I think a lot of my efforts were in evangelizing what customer success means and how a product manager can drive customer success uh, within the organization. That's So our oh. model... Great job. Great evangelism. <laughs> so you've, you've managed to solve a problem that I think is, is a problem across the board for even SaaS companies that have a lot of resources around customer success. So that's fantastic. You're quite right. Um, it, is, it was a learning experience for me as well. Uh, I think I've been a pretty traditional product manager in my career. Um, and learning the product speak has definitely helped. Knowing and learning product speak has definitely helped. Um, I was a respected product manager to begin with. So transitioning into this role was somewhat easy for me. Also because I saw the potential right at the very beginning, what it could look like. Yeah. In step two, this is your back to your kind of list of things to do if you're setting up a function like this. Um, step two is getting more buy-in. So you had getting buy-in from your product team. And then now the second step is really getting buy-in from the sales team. I think that's a tougher one. I was just at a meetup last night where uh, the panel was talking about the relationship between sales and customer success. I think sometimes sales teams are a little worried about losing control of accounts or taking a hit on commission if they um, sort of release the reins on a client to somebody else in the organization. So how do you recommend approaching the leader of a sales team to get buy-in? That's another really good question. So when I started at Cisco, there was only one team that was existing that was already there. Okay. And that was the customer success team. The customer success team rolls under sales. Okay. But the sales who actually sell the product is different and they're comped differently. That's the Cisco model. Okay. So customer success managers within Cisco are truly the trusted advisors. They don't necessarily sell. Sales folks actually sell and they are uh, obviously compensated like genetic sales teams. Okay. So sales buy-in was to essentially position CS as a practice and educating sales about what we can bring to the table. And my idea so far has been addressing and positioning CS as a practice in the pre-sales process to make the experience completely seamless for the customer when they transition to post-sale. So the win-win situation for everyone is that sales focuses on selling and we use CSMs to drive the adoption and accelerate time to value. To be honest with you, sales is very instrumental in how we segment our high-touch customer success model. They're possibly our most valued partners because their belief and their buy-in makes the customer success managers and product managers' job much, much easier. The segmentation comes from them. We provide them with ideas, but they are the ones who sign off to say, this is the customer that needs most help or this is how we would segment if we were you. That's great. I think that's a, um, a really wonderful way to approach it. And it sounds like you've been really successful in getting them on board with your function as well. So after you get the buy-in of your product and sales teams, you suggest building a network of other customer success advocates within the company. And it sounds like there was an existing customer success team in that group. Why do you think that network is so important? 
That is another really good question. So I don't know if you attended the Pulse conference last yeah. year, but that was the biggest underlying theme of the whole conference, which was build a network of customer success advocates within the company. I actually didn't quite understand because I, that was very early on in my customer success life. Um, but building a network, I found eventually that building a network not only educates other teams on what the customer success team is doing and what it means to the business. Because as I mentioned before, it's still quite misunderstood in the industry as a whole. And people saying it's account management with a new name. So building a network is really important to get the help you need when other teams are overstretched and they don't have the bandwidth to address all things needed. So for example, I wanted to train our customer success managers quickly so that they could help our customers in turn. So educating folks about this effort helped me get the help I needed in the time frame needed. So everyone across the organization really pitched in. It was a wonderful thing that happened in that time frame where everyone was pitching in to educate not just customers, but also customer success managers. And of course, all this is completely tied in into metrics, right? So you can tell when others pitch in and the output it has generated with respect to customer sentiment or customer adoption that that's that's what you're looking for. Um, as long as you can position that back to the people who help out, it's success. It's almost like instant gratification. It really is success. That's wonderful. Um, it, it sounds like that was a really great time in the company and that probably has had lasting effects on the organization, which is amazing. Before we get to your last step, um, step four, which is about celebrating your successes. I'm assuming there's something that happened in the middle between getting that network put together and celebrating the wins. So I want to explore what um, what happened. How did you go about building the function that you fill now? And what was your approach? So when I started, there was really no building blocks for me to go off of. Mm -hmm. So I did something quite simple. I sat down and I thought about it. And I put a plan together, tried something, and pivoted, very much like a startup. Okay. So I actually had a timeline in mind, and I decided to build a roadmap based on my thought process um, with some brainstorming help on the side. But I built a roadmap based on what my current understanding of the customer journey and customer pain points were. Okay. So the first step really was to understand the pain points, right? So I sent out a survey to our customers directly from my mailbox. And I got an amazing response because maybe because it was a product manager signature yes. below. <laughs> <laughs> but I got an amazing response, 22% response rate. That's great. Um, and that kind of became the basis for all everything. All our efforts were aligned with those results. Since then, um, a lot of teams have pitched in and does, have done customer listening sessions, roadmap creation, journey map creation, et cetera. But, um, and a lot of input that came from those sessions validated what I found via the survey. So we created a detailed plan off of which we went off on. And what we do uh, would be aligned with the top three pain points. Everything we do have been aligned with the top three pain points and communicated, uh, and we communicated that across the board, across all organizations. So meanwhile, in order to drive this forward and to build metrics off of it, uh, we also built a data lake, and this is key. Um, this has been key to our success because in order to derive metrics um, in terms of KPIs or whatever scores you define, 
you actually need a munging of systems together to define a customer uniquely and decide where they are at, right? So health scores, journey, adoption barriers, everything is aligned with this unique customer ID, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So each time we did any effort, whether it was a customer reach out, welcome emails, webinars, collateral, special services identified, best practices, new guides, any sort of launch um, in that way, we measured it. We measured the adoption rate. We measured how they're using it. um, And that led to kind of bubbling up the success to our leadership. So we're really extremely happy that each time we did something, the success was truly overwhelming. And that helped us drive this effort forward. Um, In the larger scheme of things, I decided that I wasn't going to just step back and look around if if there was no data available. I really looked at what we had today and decided how I was going to proceed. So if you have license utilization today, you can proceed with that. If you have support case input, you can proceed with that. If you have NPS core, proceed with that and that make that a basis of your, uh, create that as your baseline and make that a basis of your uh, efforts. I love that because I think there's too many people that I talk to in customer success that kind of throw up their hands and say, well, we just don't have the data to measure that. And there's always some data and it may take a little bit of cleaning on your part as a CS person or a CS leader to get it into shape where you can use it. But I have never talked to any organization that doesn't at least have something like even a CRM system or a, you know, a tool, you know, a tool that's the back end of their own system that they can use as a source for, um, getting data and storing data. And so I I love the idea of starting with what you've got. Thanks for sharing that. That is really important to note. And you're very correct when you say, people have just told me, we actually don't have that data. But if you really look deeply, you will find something. Even one metric is enough, right? So (laughs) One metric uh, is better than zero metrics. (laughs) So even one is good. It's a starting point. So... Very true. Yeah. Very true. Exactly. Yeah. I really like your step four, celebrating the wins. Even small wins, I think, are worth celebrating, and they are too often overlooked in the challenges of building a team or building out a function. You also focus on communication in that step. Can you talk about why you think communication and celebration are so important as a part of this process? Very, very important in my view, because when you communicate wins, the wins have to be easily identifiable and easily measurable. So I made it a point right at the very beginning when I talked to people who said, oh, it's too touchy-feely, it's very pie in the sky, I don't really understand what you deliver. I realized that I needed to put my product hat on and communicate what that success looks like and what is the best way to drive success and that the best way to drive success is by data cold, hard data. When you have data, it's easy to celebrate the wins and the team effort as well. I honestly couldn't have done this alone. Um, I have people across Cisco, including the leadership that truly believes in customer success. And it's not just my pleasure, but an honor to give shout outs to and kudos and awards to the people who have made this mission a reality. Um, I've written about it as well on LinkedIn. Um, There are a lot of people across organizations, sales engineers, advanced services, technical services, reactive support, advocacy. Um, Everyone have 
really literally gone out of the scope of their job to help me out. Uh, I started small. Uh, I initially only gave presentation to some small teams who I thought would help me. Mm-hmm. And then I started to send new t- newsletters to folks across the organizations. Um, and that made it much broader. And then I got feedback from those organizations saying, wow, thank you for sharing that. It really helps us understand what you do. And thank you for making it very metric oriented. So I started uh, sharing how we have gotten success. So assuming that we launched our online experience website, Mm -hmm. I showed success by number of visits, number of people who clicked on the collateral, um, number of people who joined a webinar and who had an uptick in the license consumption rate, things like that. So it was always aligned with some sort of data. Very cool. And I love that you're you're sharing that with people across the organization. I think that's so important. And it goes to your earlier point about how important it is to evangelize customer success within even your own organization, especially if you're in a large company. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back with the rest of the interview in a minute. By now, you probably know that the Success League offers two training programs for CSMs and success leaders. Our Customer Success Leadership Program is designed to help directors and VPs of customer success be more effective in their planning, hiring, management, and communication. I teach these classes, and as a former VP of customer success, I'm sharing the skills and models I learned over years of doing the job. Our CSM training program is for customer success managers who need training on customer success basics or to brush up on specific skills. These classes focus on how CSMs can help customers achieve the outcomes they are looking for through effective planning and communication. All of our classes are one-hour instructor-led sessions that include discussion and tools that enhance learning. Our 2018 classes start the week of January 22nd, and prices are going up next year. However, if you sign up for either series by January 12th, you'll receive 2017 pricing, which is more than 20% off. For coupon codes and more information on both programs, you can visit the training page on our website, thesuccessleague.io. I also want to mention a terrific resource from Strike Deck called The Beginner's Guide to Customer Success. This is a 200-page ebook you can download from Amazon, and it includes fantastic tips, articles, and exercises to grow your career in customer success. CSMs will find information that helps them get started in the field, and managers will gain tools they can implement to help build the customer success function within their organization. Links for the Success League's training sessions and the ebook can be found in the description of this episode. And now back to our interview. So is there anything that you tried that didn't work that you'd be willing to share with the audience? I always try to learn from my own mistakes. I'd love it if our listeners could learn from any mistakes you made along the way so they don't have to make them. Anything you'd be willing to share? I think a lot of people have gone through this. So this is probably not unique to me. I have heard this from a lot of other organizations and not a lot of other companies, actually. I think the one mistake that we made in the very beginning was to have a business outcome and a value conversation with our customers. I think in the hindsight, knowing their journey deeply early on and understanding that onboarding and deployment to step zero of customer success, I think would have served us better. The good news is that we found out real quick (laughs) and we learned real quickly. 
and pivoted and launched some really special programs to provide the best help to our customers, whether it was services, whether it was collateral, whether it was an online digital experience. We actually pivoted and we invested in those areas uh, based on where they were at in their journey. So we had to segment quickly and determine that break in their journey. This really forced us to start thinking about how the low-touch digital models uh, work early on. Yeah. If I had a do-over, I would include telemetry in every product that I ever built. <laughs> well, now you know. You can do that going forward. <laughs> um, last question. This is something I ask all of our guests. What do you see as the biggest trend in customer success right now and why? I think by far the biggest trend in the industry is how low-touch customer success will be defined going forward. Um, I think people still haven't figured out how to do that well and at scale. And incorporating machine learning in the digital experiences uh, would be key, whether it's in the digital experiences embedded in the product or outside of the product. I think that's where um, the industry is going to go. Uh, it is all about predictive models, right? Predictive, yeah. Predicting where the customer might be going and then positioning the right help at the right time. Yes. Uh, there is another trend that I think, uh, which is probably a little bit more near term, uh, and that is about changing the customer success models altogether. So CS owning revenue is a big one for so I wanted to talk to you about the CS owning revenue. How do you see that working right now? And what do you see the trend in that area looking like as you go forward? I think there are different schools of thought on that one because people think that that would kind of lose the trusted advisor role. That being said, though, uh, it's highly motivating for CS teams to own a bunch of revenue, which whether it be renewals or expand. Um, and I think there are different models emerging. So I thought the one presented by Shrikant from Marketo was super interesting. Um, he had mentioned that one of the models he's looking at is um, the high-touch customer success uh, managers are not compensated like sales, but the low-touch and mid-touch ones are. So I thought that was super interesting. Um, I also found out that other people are calmed slightly differently but similar to sales, which is a ratio of comp versus a standard salaried model. So I think that trend is emerging because for high touch and technical products, um, it is high touch models work really well. Um, so it's, um, it's something that needs to be looked at, uh, whether we lose the trusted advisor uh, title or not is left to be seen. Yeah, I, I think people have very strong opinions on that. I I have a strong opinion, and I think this is largely informed by my background in sales, that you don't lose trusted advisor status by selling things to customers or being responsible for revenue. I think that as long as you're being a um, ethical person and you're not trying to push something on somebody that they don't need, you actually can improve your trusted advisor status by um, providing the tools and resources that the customer needs at the right time, whether that's uh, tools or resources that they've already purchased or whether they need to purchase that. So that's my personal opinion. I also feel like any team in an organization that doesn't have revenue responsibility is seen as a cost center. And that means that they get less resources and they're constantly fighting for headcount and things like that. And so, you know, if you are responsible for revenue, 
there are resources that come to you more easily and that enables you to help customers more effectively. So that's my personal opinion on that point. topic. <laughs> but I, uh, that's a good point. I'm of another opinion. Just to throw some other opinions in the mix that also might lead to a little bit of a um, little bit of a misunderstanding between the sales function and the customer success function. Yes. Um, it is hard to message back to sales that uh, someone is responsible for, um, you know, just renewals and someone is responsible for the actual new sale. And how do you really demarcate that, right? So losing out on commission on a certain sales function uh, might, might be a hard sell in a sales organization, especially if customer success is owned by sales too, which happens in a lot of organizations, by the way, a lot of companies. Yeah, it is a tough one. And I think to pull it off, you have to rework the comp plans because there, you're, you're absolutely right. If there was no change to the compensation plan and they lost a big chunk of where they earned their commission, that, that would be a no-go. <laughs> uh, you know, I know that because I, I came out of sales and, you know, that would be a horrible experience for the sales rep. But if you, you know, if you give them another way to earn that money, I think that you can, it's an easier sell. But I think it's different for every company too. And, and every organization needs to look at what works for them. But I appreciate right. bringing that up as a trend. I think it's a big one. It's a big one. And I'm really looking forward to see how it hands out. I'm really interested. Yeah, me too. Well, Pallavi, thank you for joining us today and sharing your ideas on how to implement a customer success program in a complex and highly technical environment. I know that some of our listeners work for organizations with highly technical solutions and um, on-prem solutions, and I'm sure they took away some great tips from the podcast today. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kristen. I was honored to do this podcast with you. Uh, please connect with me on LinkedIn, everyone. Um, I'm happy to collaborate uh, with any of the listeners on future articles, future programs, etc. So please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, please subscribe to Strike Deck Radio on iTunes or SoundCloud. And finally, thanks for listening to this podcast and we hope you'll join us next time. <laughs> <laughs>